0: All right, if you have a Bible, uh, find Luke chapter 2 and hang out at verse 8 or so. We're going to be jumping around a few places this morning. I know Paul kind of set it up that we're starting our Advent series uh, today, and the series we called Miracle. And the miracle is obvious the miracle of Christmas is God come in the flesh, it is Jesus, and that there is all sorts of practical outflows from Jesus' coming, things we experience, the miracles that Jesus provides. And so that's kind of where we're going for the next four weeks together as a church. I told you last week that I've already started my, uh, my festivities for Christmas, 99.9, trying to warm up to the heart of Christmas by the music. Um, and I'm serious about that. That's weird for me. I didn't used to listen to like 99.9, but I, I am doing it now. Um, I get all sentimental. On Wednesday, I was driving around for a little while and there was some consistent themes in the music. And I'm going to throw out a couple of lines from a few of the songs that I heard. And there's a word, there is a theme, there is a, a point that these songs are making. See if you can grab the word and get the point of, of these songs. We're going to sing some of these this Christmas. And, and I'm going to lean into the, to the words. So you got to just be listening and you'll be there. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. That one song. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. You getting it so far? All right. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies with angelic host. proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. What's the word? Joy. Good. You're paying attention. It's, it's joy. Over and over again, there is a perpetual theme about Christmas. And this word joy shows up to describe it over and over and over and over again. Now, I've got a question uh, before we kind of dig into this. You don't need to raise your hand. I just want you to assess quickly your own heart. How many of you this this year are feeling joy? Like deep-rooted, deep-seated joy. The reason why I ask that is because after the year we just had, I could totally understand if you're struggling. A lot of my friends are struggling. To f- find joy this time of year. Well, here we are at this season called Christmas, and it's a season that's supposed to be full of this joy. And maybe because of the world we find ourselves in, or maybe it's because of the season itself with all the chaos and hectic things. Like I dared, I dared on Friday to go to into a store. I went into Kohl's on Friday, and I split right away. There's thousands of people standing in line to buy underwear. It made no sense to me. Like, why are you all here? This is a Kohl's. This is not cool. And uh, so. I was just blown away with that craziness and the chaos and stress of of Christmas. Maybe that's why you can't find joy. Um, Maybe this year, maybe unlike maybe years in the past, we're more geared to endure Christmas than we are to celebrate it this year because of what it presents to us. Well, one of the miracles in the miracle of God taking on flesh is that Jesus came to exchange our sadness for his joy That's one of his intentions, okay? In Luke, you're in Luke, chapter 2, starting in verse 8, here is the announcement about Jesus and his coming. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Jesus, according to Luke's testimony, is the good news that produces a great joy. Right? That's what, that's what Luke says here. But it may feel a little bit this year like... Uh, I got the good news part, like I'm cognitively thinking about who Jesus is, so I got the good news, but the great joy is a little bit outside of me. Good news, yes, great news, not so much so. And I can understand that. I mean, it seems like, and if I'm just reflecting on the people I hang out with or friends or even pastors who I know, this is a darker year. I've watched some of my friends change, their demeanor change. They're darker, they look more embittered, they look harder. They look more like coping than than and these are these are men in the scriptures. And uh, concerns me a little bit, to be honest with you. I, I think the church needs a reminder about joy. So this morning, this miracle of Jesus, we're gonna talk about the aspect of joy that he brings. Does it make sense? Were you aware, by the way, that joy is a commandment? I mean, I know how we feel. We'd rather have circumstances drive our joy, but but this text makes it very clear that joy is a command, okay, to the followers of of Jesus. In Paul's letter, maybe you remember this, in Paul's letter to the Philippian church, in chapter 4, verse 4, he says this, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Some writers who have tried to Uh, theme, the the epistle of Philippians, have called it the epistle of joy. 16 times Paul references joy and or celebration to the reality of who Jesus is for us. That's what he says over and over again. And if you understand the context in which Paul is teaching this message of joy, it makes it even way more powerful because Paul is in prison when he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He's got a whole bunch of Phony, pretending Christians trying to usurp his authority in the church, and he's being persecuted in prison for loving Jesus, and he's the one who says, here's what we do, church, always rejoice. Joy is the attitude and demeanor of the church. Paul didn't say in this instruction, hey, church, by the way, it'd be really nice if you'd consider maybe this season to ramp up a version of joy, he didn't, he didn't suggest to us at all that we it would be a good idea if we rejoiced. Or, hey, by the way, joy is the commandment, so why don't you take a class on joy? He just simply said, joy. Have, have joy. And he says, the source of our joy is Jesus, and you have the Savior with you always, so your joy should be always. Make sense? Pretty simple line of thought for, for Paul. In other words, what Paul implies here is that joy is the normal attitude of a true Christian regardless of circumstance, regardless of your situation. This is like um, what's normal to Thanksgiving is eating, okay? What's normal to Christians in every circumstance is, according to Paul, is joy. Again, I say rejoice. He commands it with the same strength of every other imperative he gives to the church and every other epistle that he delivers to the church, the operations and the attitudes and the behaviors of the church. Every time he says, do this, don't do that, joy fits in another category right Right there of what we are to do and to be, okay? So first of all, I, I didn't know if you knew this, but it's commended for God's people. The, the second thing I, I wondered if you knew about it was that it's, it's a mindset, not a circumstance, okay? It would be ridiculous for Paul to say, church, Have no need of anything ever. Never have a lacking of money. Have no stress ever. Have no problems in your life always. Have the world go that you want it to go the way you want it to go always. Because all of those things are outside of our control. He doesn't give that kind of instruction whatsoever. You can take really good care of yourself and still get sick. You can't even control your health. Really? Really? You, you, could, you could work really hard at your job and still they like, show up on a Monday and say, hey, man, we got, we got no place for you. and You lose your job. You can try really hard to steward your money and invest it in the wisest way you know how. And that investment can blow up in your face and you would have nothing. Those things are outside of our control. But what Paul suggests about joy is that this attitude of joy is something that we do control. It is something that we're responsible with. We, we can choose to live a life of joy or, or not. In other words, joy is an attitude. It's, it's a, an approach to life rather than a reaction to life. And we, without thinking, would prefer to react to things. And then we would expect that the way we'd react, if it's going to be joy, needs to mean that all those things would go the way I want them to go. Therefore, joy is the result. And yet that's not how Paul sees it at all. He says it's an approach to how we live our life, not a reaction to the life that we get. Now, you have to remember context. Paul is in prison, okay, being punished for nothing. This man is the one that says, hey, rejoice always in the Lord. And just in case you didn't hear it the first time, again, I say rejoice. Now you got it. That's the demeanor of the church. Joy all the time, even if, and in Paul's case, you're facing execution, which is probably never going to be any of our tasks, okay? There's another truth about joy I think it's important to understand. It is that the, the source of joy is friendship with God. If you turn over to 1 Peter, let me prove it to you. First Peter chapter 1, Peter lays out for us um, what we have in Jesus, one thought, and what the response of what we have in Jesus is, okay? Pretty simple, verses 3 um, to verse 9. This is Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. with glory. Here's what Paul thinks. Here's what Peter thinks. Okay? Joy's only source. This one not connected to circumstances is our salvation. That's what he says. It's, it's our peace with God, right? An inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled can't be taken from you, guarded for you in heaven. One that even through trials will produce a good work. This is the, this is the salvation that we have joy in. That's the source of it, our peace with God, right? This brokenness, this sickness of sin in us, healed by the love of Christ. Like he went to the cross to heal the things that were twisted against God. This chasm, you've heard people talk about the distance between a holy God and his standard and me on my own. This unbridgeable distance is bridged by Jesus. Joy. This insurmountable debt, like everything I've ever done, every thought I'd ever have and motive I'd ever drive with, every bit of it, continues to bury me under the weight of my sin. And Jesus, we sing this song, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. He paid it all. There isn't one single debt left for a a follower of Christ. Not one. So, I thought when I was writing this, somebody in here needed to hear that. Like somebody... In here, maybe this Christmas needed to hear that Jesus offers what you cannot get, what you're striving for everywhere else, this peace, this peace that anchors down here. It isn't connected to circumstances. And it's this peace, it is this salvation that we talk about. Joy, true joy comes only this way. It comes in a relationship with Christ, not circumstances and not techniques. I can't tell you to breathe deep or think this or try that or walk there. I can tell you that this salvation that God is guarding for you in Christ Jesus, this one that can't be earned and can't be lost, it's all yours. And every debt you have Every need you have is met fully in Christ Jesus. And according to Peter, here's the conclusion. A joy that you don't have words for. Inexpressible. Like, how could I tell you about the joy I have? It's really hard. Like, I know you've got sickness. Like, you're dealing with cancer. How can you have joy? Well, well, let me try. Because according to the scripture, it's inexpressible and full of glory. So let me just wing it here. Jesus... Jesus paid it all. He took care of my sin and my issues. Let's uh, do this. Turn to John chapter 15. Let me show you what Jesus thinks about this offering. These are Jesus' words in this discussion about abiding in him, like remaining in Jesus, okay, and what he offers us, the church. We're going to start in verse 9 to verse 11 of John 15. This is what Jesus says. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus is talking about the only source of joy, you with me. Me covering over you. And by the way, I want you to know my joy and I want that joy to superabound. I want it to overflow. I want it to spill over the edges. I want it to be an inexpressible joy by knowing me. That was Jesus' intention. That's that's what we have. Just think about it, church. Think, just think about the joy that's yours if you just considered what you already have in Jesus. If nothing else changes in your life and all you do is embrace what he has said here by abiding in him, I've told you these things about life and salvation so that you'd have my joy. And that joy would blow your mind. That's what I've told you these things for. That was his intention. In Jesus, we have all those things. All the shame of the past, right? All the things you know about, all the stuff you struggle with now, and all the things later to come in your life has been totally, right, lifted by Christ. The stain of sin, like the scar of sin, has been covered over by the righteous robes of Jesus. What sin? He sees it no more, according to the psalmist. That foolish rebellion, you know, it's the, any rebellion against God, by the way, is foolish, but it's the, it's the rebellion that all men go, at least for a while. We try to do it on our own. We do it apart from God. We don't trust in Christ's offering, and we try to make sense out of our life without the creator of life, and that thing is called rebellion, and your rebellion, your war against a holy God, right? Jesus came in spite of us to provide peace. He makes a way. And all of it is forgiven, every bit of it through Jesus. Joy comes, this kind of joy comes knowing that you're dearly loved by God. Isn't that what John says in 1 John? How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. Joy comes from knowing that you're forgiven not because of you and I or what we do but because of his grace alone. Knowing that no matter what happens to us, no matter what circumstance, even Paul in prison facing execution Even Paul, going through all that, um, that you and I are going to be more than just okay. We're going to be great. We're loved by the Father. And I'm telling you, if you don't believe that, I know why your joy comes and goes. If you believe he's got you, no matter what circumstance you're in, and the way he's got you is for your good, then joy will be result, right? It will be. Where does this joy come? It comes from this perspective, not our circumstances, from confidence that God's love is eternal and that we belong to him. But if that's all true, and I'm watching you, so it's happened in every service, 8, 9, 30, and now 11, you're nodding, you're leaning in. Yeah, God's love, awesome. Where's the joy? Like, where is the super abundant, overflowing joy regardless of your circumstance? Where is it? You've nodded about the doctrine. Where's the response? Because I'm looking around, and to be honest, not everybody, but a lot of us have issues here, right? I swear to you, this Christmas, we're going to sing one of these songs, and you're going to feel like a hypocrite. Joy to the world, and you're going to, not here, not, not my world, not my joy. You, you hear me talk about Paul in prison and facing execution. You might even go so far as to envy that attitude. But, but you don't have joy. Paul's instructions aren't to describe to you a story you'll never experience, like reading somebody else's mail, like, well, that's good for him. It's really cool that Paul could muster up some kind of internal, like, attitude, but not me. That, that's not why he writes this. Maybe you would look at those words and say, well, that doesn't reflect at all how I feel. Why, church, listen, why the lack of joy? I'm very sensitive to this. A lot of us look at our world right now in this last year and a half and an election cycle and the turmoil and the tensions in our streets and everyone says, this just stinks. The whole thing stinks. I've got no hope to it. And I've watched some really biblical people start to do this with their joy. I only know one reason, that some of that stuff was part of their joy. Because the only way it can go down when that goes bad is to have your joy wrapped in that, right? If your joy is anchored in Jesus and what he's accomplished for you, who can touch it? Who can touch it? No, nobody can touch it. So why? Why is it so difficult? Well, I have to start here, and please don't be offended. But let me just start here. There's a possibility that we don't know the joy of the Lord because some of us don't know the Lord of joy. Like, you know church. You know what it's like to come in here. You know when to stand, when to sing, when to clap, when to be quiet. You, you've got that wired. Most of us, a lot of us, have a good relationship with this place, but not necessarily with Christ, trusting in our own goodness. But when you trust in your own goodness, you can't manufacture joy, not this joy. You can't just put it on. You can't try and have it happen, okay? So if, if, and if I'm talking to you, if this joy that I'm describing from the Scriptures is elusive to you, if you can't find it, pretty simple what you do. You better check your heart. Because what I'm suggesting the scriptures say is this joy is only possible by knowing the Lord of joy, who is Jesus. You've got to come to grips with who you are and your, your condition. Like, I know people get tired of hearing this, but the best news man has ever heard always starts with the bad news that you are stuck in your sin and have no hope without Christ. You can't have the best news without believing the bad news. And people get tired of hearing that, but what am I supposed to say? What are we supposed to say? If I say to you, just ignore that part. Ignore the sin part. Just skip over your depravity. Go to something else. Just go to the happy place, and you miss heaven, and you miss the Savior? There's no joy in that. There's nothing lasting in that. But if I tell you, if I tell you, all of us have a cancer, a sickness, a sin, and it's twisted every part of us. We can't perceive our way out of things, and we can't sort our way out of things, and we can't try our way out of things. What we need is a rescuer. We need a savior to dive into this mess and give us faith of which didn't exist just minutes before. And if you're here today, and you go, I love the idea of joy. I'm, I'm hearing it. I want it. Right. I want to sing these words honestly but you've never trusted in the one who gives joy, we're wasting our time. And the most loving, encouraging, happy, best present I could ever give you at Christmas is to say, go after Jesus. Just tell him who you are, right? Just tell him your need, tell him your sin, tell him your inability, and you get everything. You get everything. You get all of the lavish inheritance of the king for you. So maybe it's hard to find. Maybe joy is an elusive thing because... We don't know the Lord of joy. Maybe, maybe we're confusing joy and happiness with having life go our way. Maybe that's why it's hard to have joy, right? Because we live in a world that says this, joy equals pleasant experiences, don't we? Isn't that what we hear all the time? Isn't that what's perpetrated on us, that joy equals pleasant experiences? But I keep going back to Paul in, in this Philippian jail. Do you really think Paul enjoyed prison? you really think he was that insane to go, this is good? Do you think in 2 Corinthians, when, they say, when he says, I was beaten with rod three times, do you think he's thinking that feels good? Please, sir, yes, may I have another? Do you think he did that? No. Painful, unpleasant, uncomfortable, frightening, all of the above, everything we'd all experienced. But there was something that superseded his reality. And it was the greater reality. I am loved by God. i mean, his hands. He knows what he's doing. And the conclusion is inexpressible joy. And that's why I think that phrase fits there. Because every rational mind would look at imprisonment and execution and go, You're crazy. How can you be so happy? Well, it's hard to tell you, really. It's supernatural, it's inexpressible. God did a miracle in here. That's what this is about. There are going to be times, church, and some of you are living right now, where you're discouraged and you're depressed. You look at what they show on the news and you go, man, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't like this place anymore. I don't like people anymore. It could be you. You could be disappointed. You could be hurt. You could be experiencing the failures of others in your life. You could be sick or whatever. I'm just telling you that's part of the human experience. But but for those of us who trust in Christ and his kingdom, here's what tough times do to us. Tough times make the church ask, what is God up to? God doesn't waste his energies, and he's certainly not out of control. He's in control. So when things, crazy things go on, we should be asking, I don't see it, but what's he doing? There is a ripple to our stories. There's a ripple to your sickness and your sadness. There's a ripple to your hurt and your pain. There's a ripple to the wickedness in the world. God's up to something, and our God can take the mess and sort it out and do a glorious work that demonstrates who he is and do a change in us at the same time. It's an amazing, an amazing reality. Tough times make Christians understand this, that God is writing his story, not mine. This is not about me. This is not about having everything go my way. Someday all these pieces will come together, and someday, I swear to you church, someday you will say, I don't know when that day will be, but someday you will say, it's all good. It was all good, because now I know the big picture. I know the ripple. Might happen this side of heaven, it might happen later, but you're gonna say it was all good because that's all he can do is good. Why, Why is joy so difficult? I would suggest that we are so into artificial efforts and we find out the hard way that artificial efforts don't work. So we experience the disappointment of chasing the wrong things. You know, you've heard me say this before, that our flesh is nothing but an idle factory. Buy something, get someone, have some experience, and therefore equals, you'll find joy. And I, I would suggest to you that part of God's gracious way of teaching us that we're stupid is to let us have some of that stuff only to experience the disillusionment of what things can't do. They can't bring this kind of inexpressible, glorious hope that lasts forever. You and I were made to be satisfied in him, not in tiny little things. And you've heard this of God, and it's true of him. He's described as a jealous God. Part of his jealousy is that he will frustrate your joy in anything else until he becomes your ultimate joy. And that's a loving thing to do. If he is the best, then isn't it good that he frustrates all other joys? If he's the best joy. Of course it is. If he said, no, no, go for it, whatever, and you get somewhat sedated by your decisions and your choices only to miss out the ultimate, God wouldn't be ultimately good. So what do we do? We chase all these bunny trails, we go down these places, we have all these expectations. The election will do it, or this man will do it, or this will do it, or that'll change that, or man, it ain't doing it. What will bring me lasting joy? Hmm. Jesus. You see the goodness in that? Yeah, okay. Why is joy so difficult? Because I don't think we see the big picture. Not like Paul anyway. Paul was tenacious for the big picture. Listen to some of Paul's words. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's tenacious. I only want Jesus, and if I die, I get more of Jesus. Clarity in Jesus. Listen to what else he says. I count everything, not some things, everything as lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. Everything's a waste of time compared to knowing Christ. Tenacious for the big picture. He saw the big picture. Sometimes I would accuse us of being so close to our issues that we miss out on what God's doing. The church struggles with tunnel vision. Like we're right here, like we're so close to the wall we don't even know what color the world is. We see trials and pain that are inevitable in life, like things to get out of as fast as possible rather than the beautiful way that God shapes his children into the image of Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I'm sane, I would say I want to be like Jesus. Would you not? I want to be like him. And he would say, do you really? Do you really want to be like me? Well, let's get busy. Oh, and by the way, Tim, we got a lesson next week on suffering. And after that, you're going to go through a semester of failure. And and after that, there's going to be really hard times, and we're going to go through a whole year of disappointment. You want to be like me? Do you really? Because I'll make you like me. I promise. That's the work of Christ, right? Sometimes we see those trials as something to get out of. Sometimes we see no's, like God's no's as failure rather than God's leading us to something better because that's how he would do that. I know you're limited in what you see and I know you think what you see is what you need, but I know best. This is ultimate parent analogy, you understand? It's like a little kid asking for, hey, can I have more candy? And you as a parent say, no, you need some protein, buddy. You're gonna shrivel up and die if you just keep eating that. Sometimes we see loneliness as abandonment rather than the way that God draws his children close to him. We have such tiny vision, so small. Sometimes we lose our perspective. So what do you do? What, what can I encourage you this Christmas? Do you want joy? I suppose I should ask that question. Maybe I'm just assuming everyone likes sadness. There's gloom and despair and agony on me. You know that Hee Haw song? We'll just sing that next Sunday. You want joy? This is not complicated. You want joy? All you got to do is be close to the source of joy. If you're trying to sort out all the dysfunction in our world, and all the broken things in the world, and all the suffering you've got to go through, and you're nowhere near the source of joy, I know how you're going to respond. Disillusioned and disappointed. You got no source. There's no perspective like you have to fight for these realities. Like God, you are bigger and you're doing more things and I'm a minuscule part of this story and you can use my life to do whatever you want it regards to your glory and I know the ultimate end will be good and I know the ultimate end will equal my joy. But if you don't have those words ringing in your ear, if you're not close to the Holy Spirit who's communicating to you through prayer, if you're just kind of winging this Christian faith, then I know what your life looks like and I know why a season like Christmas could be overwhelming sadness for you because you look around and they're selling joy everywhere and you don't have it. Well, you're not going to have it unless you're close to the source. Let me me give you another thing to consider this Christmas. Can I encourage you to spend some time reflecting this year? It It might be a little painful to do it, but I think it's a good exercise. Can you just take a moment and remind yourself where God found you? Do you remember that pile? Do you remember those actions, behaviors, beliefs? Do you remember the hopelessness? Do you remember the hurts and wounds that you perpetrated on other people? You know the mess. You know the arrogance. You remember that? You thought you were all that? You could do it without him? You remember that? Just spend some time going, Look at who I was. Look at how I thought. Look what I believed in. All of it led to death. Separation from God, now and forever. But Jesus, but Jesus, that's why this is the miracle. That's why Jesus leaving heaven on an intentional rescue mission for you is so valuable to us, so much more than our words can say that the conclusion always has to be, If he didn't do something about it, where would I be? Remember his all-consuming grace this Christmas, and don't forget his blessings, and contemplate your inheritance that he is going to lavish on you, children of God. And then walk this Christmas in spite of your suffering, in spite of our world, in spite of the chaos, and have joy inexpressible and full of glory. And when everyone looks at you like you're nuts, tell them you're not nuts. Tell them you know Jesus. Do that this Christmas. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord God in heaven, I do pray that the demeanor of your people would be one of joy. God, I pray you'd match our words and our demeanors and our expressions to the magnitude of our salvation and that what people would see and hear in us is what Paul suggests, this joy that is inexpressible. I pray that that story is so winsome that people on the outside looking in would want Jesus. God, we, we do love you. We pray this in the power of the Holy Spirit for our lives and our church. In Christ's name we pray, amen.